Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Well, it's good to see Brian and Lois here today. Great to have you guys here. John chapter 20 this morning. We're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20. One of the things that Jesus is is doing throughout both his pre-cross, pre-resurrection experience, and then we're going to see today his post-resurrection experience with his followers, is to remind them that his ministry to them is not going to cease when he ascends back to heaven. That his ministry is going to continue with them through the indwelling Holy Spirit that lives within them and that he is about to impart upon them and that that impartation of the Holy Spirit will be something that they can rely and depend on until the Holy Spirit comes upon them on the day of Pentecost, which will be a few weeks from now, and he actually indwells them permanently just as he does you and I today who believe in Jesus Christ. But I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. And I want to share some thoughts with you from this passage this morning surrounding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because let's remember, as Jesus does for us and to us, so does the Holy Spirit. So notice what the Word says, beginning in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, meaning the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So you think about it. He's only been risen from the dead for maybe 12 hours at this point. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together and locked the doors of the place because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. And just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after he said this, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. Now you get the setting here. The Bible is telling us that the disciples of Jesus at this point are full of despair and discouragement and fear. They are hiding out in this place. We don't know exactly where it was, but we do know they were hiding in fear. And the Bible tells us that they were hiding in fear from the religious leaders because they just saw what they did or were able to do through the Roman authorities to Jesus, and they were thinking the same fate could await us as well. But there's something else, obviously, too, that we remember that in the backstory of the crucifixion and all of that, that these followers of Jesus really didn't stick by Jesus. Remember, they all sort of forsook him and fled in fear. 
And, and even Peter denied that he even knew the Lord several times. So there's even probably in the back of their mind this thought of, my goodness, the last thing that we did as followers of Jesus Christ is we failed him. And they probably are even wondering, if they ever see him again, what's going to be his response? What, what's that going to look like, if you will? And so I want to, first of all, direct your attention to the very first words that Jesus says to his followers after he raises from the dead and he sees them for the first time. And those words were, peace be with you. In fact, it's so strong that you'll notice in the text that Jesus repeats it twice. He says to them, peace be with you. And then a little bit later on, he says again, peace be with you. Now, folks, this isn't just Jesus saying just, hey, guys, hi, how you doing? How you been? This is Jesus basically saying to his followers, it's okay. Everything between you and I, are we're okay. Your sins, your failures have been forgiven, and we're okay. You think about that. How important that was for these followers to hear. In fact, those are still very powerful words for any of us to hear. Is God and me okay? You see. Are we good? You know, we, we even do that in our human relationships at times. If, if, if something's a little strained, a little rocky, a little tense, we might come back around. Is everything okay? If we value that relationship, we value that friendship, we want to make sure things are good. And so you can imagine that before they could even say anything, and obviously they were shocked to see that Jesus was alive, because they obviously did not believe what he said, that the grave was not going to hold him, and that he would see them again, that the very first thing that Jesus says to them is, Peace be with you. It is so important that a human being comes to a place in our life where we have peace with God. And the only way that you and I can have peace with God is by exercising faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul says to the Romans, we are declared righteous or have a right standing before God is by placing our faith, our trust, our confidence, our belief fully in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. That's the only way a human being can have peace with God. And so it's very important here today that we make sure that you know that if you're here today and you don't have that peace, you don't know for sure that you and God are okay, that you can know that. That all you have to do is do what every one of us has done in our life and what every other human being who had a peace with God had to do. And that was exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Do you have that peace with God? Because that is huge. Because one cannot have the peace of God in our lives, enjoying that peace, experiencing that peace, until we have peace with God. It is only those who have peace with God 
that can enjoy and experience the peace of God, the peace that passes all understanding. A peace that many people are grasping for and groping for today because we obviously live in a world, and I don't have to tell you this, it's pretty self-evident. We live in a world today where many, if not most human beings that exist on planet Earth lack peace. They have no peace. It's part of the reason why they're acting the way they are, are acting and doing the things that they are doing is because they don't have peace in their life. They have no sense of quietness and rest and confidence and tranquility of mind. Their mind is always agitated and twisted and in an uproar over something. And God offers us such great peace. And here in this moment, when the disciples are filled with fear and doubt and insecurity and and despair and discouragement and all these things, not just because they knew that they failed the Lord the last time they were with him, but obviously in fear of other human authority, Jesus says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And let's remember something that the reason I say that the, the ministry of Jesus continues through the Holy Spirit to his followers and to us and why this is as much about the Holy Spirit is it is about what Jesus does is is not peace one of the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace is one of them. And Paul even says to the Romans, The kingdom of God does not consist in food and drink, what we eat or drink. It consists in righteousness, peace, and joy found only in the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in Him so that you may abound in hope by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one that really can bring that peace into our life. And I hope that everyone here today, you are experiencing and knowing that peace because it is so important. Because the world in which we live lacks that peace. And one of the things that we need to make sure as followers of Jesus Christ that we are doing is exhibiting that kind of peace so that others can look at our lives and see that there's a difference that Jesus and His Holy Spirit within us truly makes. And one of those big differences is that we can be a people of peace. That no matter what is going on outside, externally, circumstantially, we can be a person of peace within. So Jesus offers great peace. You'll notice though in verse 20 that Jesus also offers to the followers great proof. He literally gives them proof of his Resurrection. He says, guys, look, it's me. Look at my side. Look at my hands. Look at the scars where the nails were. By the way, scars and, and imprints that Jesus will carry throughout eternity because this was obviously his glorified body. And God is all about giving those who are sincere and genuine the proof or the evidence that they need in order to believe. There's no lacking of evidence. In fact, just to give my 
sun here a little plug at this point. On Easter weekend. So Easter this year and our 8th anniversary is April the 1st. The very first Sunday of April. That Saturday before Easter, my son is going to be doing a seminar on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anyone can come, just like we've had other seminars. I would encourage all and any one of you to come bring friends with you to that. Because the Bible basically says that our faith rests on whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. And we believe that there is great proof, great historical evidence for why we believe in Jesus and why we truly believe he rose from the dead. We believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually is the best answer to what happened to Jesus. So I hope you'll sign up for that seminar and come and be a part of it with us. What a great weekend to have that seminar on the resurrection of Jesus Saturday and then come to church on Sunday celebrating our Lord's resurrection as well as our eighth anniversary. It could be a great weekend for us as a church. But the point I want to make here is that Jesus will give us proof. He showed himself alive for 40 days after his resurrection to many, many people. And, and Luke even writes about the fact that he gave us many infallible proofs. And those proofs will work for somebody that has sincere intellectual doubt. If somebody just needs more information about something, more evidence about something, and then they'd be okay with it, that'll work. But for some people... It doesn't matter how much evidence you put in front of their nose, how much proof you put in front of their eyes, they will not believe because their questioning, if you will, their doubts are not intellectual doubts. Their doubts are spiritual in nature. Their doubts are emotional in nature. And no amount of evidence or proof that you put in front of somebody is going to work because there's other things at play. But God is a God that is willing to give sincere, genuine seekers who are just looking for a little bit more evidence to seal the deal. He'll give it to us. And he gave it to his own followers. In fact, later on, when Thomas isn't there, he even says to Thomas, the doubting one, hey, you doubt that it's me and that this is a real body? Then put your finger here. You know, I'm, I'm real. Even in my glorified body, I'm a body of substance, just like you and I one day are going to have a body in heaven of substance. It's not Casper the Friendly Ghost type stuff, okay? Like people can see through us. No, it's going to be just like Jesus' glorified body. Spiritual, yes. Never to die again, yes. Never to be sick or ill or anything again. Never to be subject to the things of earth again as far as tired and hungry and all that. But it's a body of substance. Proof. But you also notice in Jesus giving his followers proof of his resurrection, he's also reminding them of the price that was paid for their redemption. Because they saw the scars, if you will, that were inflicted on the body of Jesus before and during his time on the cross. That's something you and I need to be reminded of too. 
that as Jesus offers us his peace, as Jesus offers us proof, he also offers us, if you will, the price that he paid so that you and I could experience the freedom that we just sang about. And in that price, then, let's not forget, that really shows his love for us. For God so loved us. Not just love. The Bible always talks of God's love as so loved. He so loved us that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not ever perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Jesus even said, greater love has no one than this, that a, a person would lay down their life for their friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Paul said to the Romans, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John writes, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his one and only son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's love, my friends. You and I can't contemplate or consider the cross of Jesus Christ, and not be reminded of what great love he has for us. That God became a man and was willing to subject himself to such a cruel, torturous death out of his love for us. So let's never forget that as God offers us his peace, he's also offering us, if you will, his love by reminding us of the price of our redemption. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He also offers his followers great purpose. Because notice that Jesus also says, As the Father sent me, now I am sending you. And that's why it's so sad that many even Christians or those who profess the name of Christ can live days and weeks and months and feel like their life is purposeless. Like, I don't know what my purpose is. Whenever it's very clear that our purpose is the same as it's always been since the time that Jesus shared with his followers these truths. And that is this, that every day you and I wake up and live, we have the purpose of being a sent one by Jesus Christ into whatever environment or situation we find ourselves in every day. Every day, we are Jesus's representative wherever we're at. We are his, as Paul says to the Corinthians, his ambassador. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And everywhere we exist, everywhere we go, we are living out our purpose if we are representing Jesus Christ to everyone and anything that we find ourselves in contact with. We never have to think about, what's my purpose? My purpose is to be a Jesus representative, a Jesus ambassador in everything that I'm doing and in everywhere that I go. That's my purpose. That pretty much covers it. That means if I'm home, then I'm representing Christ in my home. In my neighborhood, wherever God has me, in my community, I'm a representative there. In my workplace, in, at school where I go, uh, to, to this group and that group, to whatever place I find myself in, I am a set one. And Jesus Christ is literally saying, go here and represent me and be here and represent me. And I'm sending you here and I'm sending you there. And that's what our purpose is every day. What a great purpose. 
That means that I never have to live one day, even one hour of a day, thinking I don't have a purpose. Because no matter where I'm at or who I'm with, I have purpose. Because I am a representative of Jesus Christ. I have been sent by Him. That's why it is no small thing when we consult God, and that's what we should do, and pray about things as to where He wants us to be. Where does He want me to live? Where does He want me to work? Where does He want me to go to school? Because that should be His decision, not mine. Because he has specific, where should I go to church? That shouldn't be my decision, that should be his. He has a specific reason why he wants us in certain places. That's why I don't count it any small thing that God is the one who opened up that piece of ground over there at Greenfield and Queen Creek and says, now Oasis Church, I want you here. I have a specific reason why I want you in this place. Just down the street from the second largest Mormon temple in the state of Arizona. Just up the street a little bit from the new Muslim mosque right here on Val Vista. And God says, Oasis, I want my light here. Represent me here. We are sent by Jesus Christ. We shouldn't send ourselves. Notice, he says, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Where is God sending you? And remember that every day that gives purpose to my life. Where I go, who I come in contact with. So he not only offers us great peace and great proof and and reminds us of the price of our redemption, but he also gives us great purpose. But he doesn't stop there. Then the Bible says after he said this, he literally breathed into them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So here he is offering them great power. Because we know that the Bible says that the disciples were to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit so that they would have power to be His witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Acts 1.8 You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so you'll notice something here, very important. That Jesus never sends us out or sends us to something or someone and wants us to be His representative without empowering us through His Holy Spirit to do it. To do it well. To do it properly. To do it completely. He will always empower us for whatever He's sending us to or sending us into. And He does it through His Holy Spirit. Very interestingly, too, that he symbolically sort of breathes upon them, breathes into them his Holy Spirit, right? And that the word for breath and obviously the word for spirit are very closely related. In a sense, you could say that the Holy Spirit who lives within us literally gives us the ability to inhale and exhale the breath of God all the time. 
that we literally can inhale and exhale God throughout our day. Many Christians sort of go through their day and in a sense run out of breath. We, we lose the, the stamina and the energy and the effort to be able to get things done, you know, as much as we want. And maybe part of that is we're, we're doing more than what God is requiring us to do. So we're going to run out of breath. But, but maybe we're trying to do the things that God is asking us to do, but we're not doing it with the breath of God that he supplies through his Holy Spirit. And so we can start to run out of breath and get very weary God has supplied us His Holy Spirit literally so we can have His breath within us to fill our spiritual lungs, if you will, so that we can perform the things that God asks us to do. Giving us that power. His breath. But there's another power, if you will, sort of extended to the word authority here. And that's when Jesus says at the very end, if you forgive someone's sins, then they're forgiven in my my mind. If you retain their sins, then they are retained. What's Jesus saying here? Well, obviously he's not saying to a human being, you provide forgiveness. Because we understand that forgiveness can only be found in Jesus. Only God can provide forgiveness. Only he has the purest blood to be able to wipe the slate clean, if you will. As Peter said, we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain manner of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we were set free. Because Jesus' blood and His righteousness and His life was the only one that could satisfy the holiness of God. So you and I cannot provide forgiveness but what Jesus here isn't, is talking about isn't providing forgiveness. It's proclaiming forgiveness in Jesus' name. He's saying, I now give you the power, the authority to be able to go into the world and proclaim that you, a human being, can have forgiveness through Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul did this in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, I think it's verse 48. I'm not sure, so don't don't quote me there. But Paul says, Brothers and sisters, it is through the name of Jesus Christ that I offer you forgiveness of sins. How did he have that? Who gave him that authority? God did. Who gives me the authority to stand before people today and say that you can be forgiven in Jesus' name? Jesus did. I can't provide forgiveness for you, but I can tell you in whom forgiveness can be found. And Jesus says, I want you to go with that kind of power and with that kind of authority. Remember when Jesus was ministering on earth early on in his ministry and he was teaching people and people were saying, there's something different about this man's ministry, especially his teaching. He teaches as one who has authority, which means he's being contrasted with the religious leaders of Israel. And you're thinking, no one knew the scriptures in their head better than the religious leaders of Israel. But they could not teach with authority. Why? Because their life was not lined up with the one who wrote that book. 
Therefore, they were not coming in the authority and power that only God can give a person. That's why Jesus said in his final words to his followers, he says in Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now in that authority, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. See, God wants us, as we go, as we are sent, wherever we are, to live in the power and authority that is ours through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And to know that the things that we proclaim in Jesus' name should carry authority and power and weight. It's so sad today that many... Ministers and preachers and teachers today teach without any kind of authority or power behind their message. Because that's not the way it's supposed to be. All through the Word of God, those that stood in Christ's stead, those that were doing ministry in the name of Jesus, never should have, you know, been weak, but powerful. Because again, we don't stand in our own authority. We stand in the authority that has been granted to us as ministers and servants of Jesus Christ. And we bear a message worth hearing. Because it is only through the name of Jesus that someone's life can be saved and transformed and redeemed and set free. And we've got the message. Therefore, let's not be ashamed of it. So here in this great passage of Scripture, Jesus is saying, even though I'm going to leave you and I'm going to go back to heaven, my Holy Spirit's going to be with you. And while He's there, He's going to be offering you that peace every day. He's going to be offering you the proof that you need to be assured and reassured and reaffirmed. He'll give it to you. Remember last week, the Holy Spirit was sent here to convict and convince. The word means to give evidence. He'll be there in your life to do that. He'll be there in your life to remind you of the price of your salvation so that you can know every day how greatly you are loved. He will be there every day to try to keep you on track with the purpose of God in your life, that you are a sent one, a representative, and He'll certainly be there to empower you. And give you the strength and the might and the power to do what I'm asking you to do. But God didn't want me to stop there. God specifically shared with me weeks ago, Now Jeff, I I want you to take him here and then I want you to circle back to the very beginning and I want you to leave him with this. I'm like, okay God. If you saw me in my study, you'd probably laugh sometimes. Like, okay, God. I'm having this conversation with God, and I get very demonstrative. And I guess if, if people were able to look in and see, they'd probably say I was crazy, which that's probably true too. But I want to go back and circle back to the whole setting of this. Remember, 
The disciples are literally like hiding under tables. You can picture it, right? They are so afraid of the Jewish leaders that they're literally hiding, the Bible says, in fear. I mean, great fear. They, they're trembling. They're like, oh my goodness, look at what they did to our, to our master, Jesus. What are, we, what are they going to do to us? And all of a sudden, the presence of God bursts into that room. We don't know how Jesus got there. Did he go through the wall? Did he knock on? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say how Jesus got there. But all of a sudden, the presence of Jesus was upon them. And Jesus wanted them to know, with me in your life, with the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Father, the presence of the Holy Spirit, there can be great possibilities. Stop hiding in fear. Because I'm getting ready to call you forth. I'm getting ready to send you out into a world that we saw last week is going to hate you. Because they hated me first, Jesus said. So I, I, can't, I can't have a bunch of scaredy cat disciples. I got to have a group of men and women that, that become confident and fearless and come out of hiding. And then God directed me, he said, now, now Jeff, let their mind stay there, but then take their mind back to that time that I rose Lazarus from the dead. Because there's a parallel here. And I want them to see that. And you know the story. We don't even have to turn to John 11, a few chapters back. Jesus stands before the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who's been dead now for several days. And cries out, shouts out these words, Lazarus! Come forth. Those words are a calling. Jesus is calling this man who was dead to come out of the tomb. If Jesus has the power to call the dead to life, then Jesus has the power to be able to call you and me out of hiding. Because some of you, even as Christians, you've been living in hiding for too long. You are hiding because of fear. You are hiding because of doubt. You are hiding because of insecurity and inhibition. And you're back there in that cave like Lazarus. And you have yet to really come forth and come out and allow God to just take your life and put you out there because of all these things that are keeping you back there, hiding in fear like those disciples in that room. And God is saying today to his people, come forth, come out of hiding. Stop living in fear. Because I want to unwrap you and let you go. You know, that's, those were the next words that Jesus said. After he called Lazarus forth out of that tomb, then he tells those around Lazarus, unwrap him. The words literally mean release him, set him free. Some of you, even as Christians, you have been like Lazarus you have been bound. Something's got you all wrapped up. 
And God is saying, if I have the power to call the dead to life, I have the power to be able to call you out of that cave you're in. Stop being that turtle or tortoise that keeps going back and hiding in the shell. I want to put you out there. I want you to serve me in this way. I want you to come forth. Stop hiding and let me set you free. And then Jesus says, let him go. And those words in the original language mean, let him be or do what he could have never done before. See, that's what God sees in all of us. That's what he sees in us as a church. That's why he wants to do this work in us even before we get to that location because God is getting ready to put us in a little bit more of a prominent place in this community. More eyes are going to be on us. And God is saying, are you ready to be sent? Are you going to continue to hide? Are you going to come forth out of that tomb that you're in And let me release you and set you free and let you go. Sadly and tragically, we spend too many years even as Christ followers having all this potential and and opportunity that God has placed within us just lie dormant because we're hiding. God does not want his people to hide. That's why God calls his people lights and lamps and says, who lights a lamp and then puts it under a bush? You light a lamp so you can stick it out there where everybody can see it. That's why God calls the church a lighthouse or a lampstand in the book of Revelation. Because he wants to put us out there so people can see the difference that Jesus makes in our life. The difference that the Holy Spirit makes as he is present in our life every day. That we are a people who have been offered a great peace, great proof, a great proof of his love. A great purpose, a great power, and oh my, with all of that, the great possibilities that exist for us. But we live too many days of our life without realizing those possibilities because like the disciples, we're hiding in fear. Jesus is calling some of you today, and he's certainly calling us as a church, come forth. Come forth. Stop your hiding. Stop letting your insecurities and your doubts and your inhibitions get the better of you. Let me unwrap you, unbind you, so that you can be and do what you never could do before. Let's stand in prayer. God, I believe today you gave me this message for this day, for this group of people. And it's certainly a message that all of us need to hear, all of us need to be reminded of, because 
Throughout our life, God, we can, all of us, sort of go into hiding. We can allow other people and other things to get the better of us, and we can shrink back rather than step out and step forward. But God, today, you're calling us as a church, as a church, as a community of believers, to come forth. To stop living in, in fear, in doubt. But to come out and become and do what we could never do before. We've got what we need. You offer us your peace and your power and your purpose every day through the presence of your Holy Spirit. We just need to take a hold of it. We just need to willingly and decisively take a hold of the Holy Spirit who lives within us or who is being offered to us and live on a whole other level. And I pray that that would be the case today. Maybe there's even some folks here today, specifically, God, that you are speaking to. And you're telling them, come forth. I pray that they would just be obedient to your voice today, God. As you call us to all, step out and step forward in you. To be the light that you call us to be. Through the power of your Holy Spirit. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.